Now, I have, a, I have a confession to make. I've made some really bad decisions in my life, you know, in high school in particular, and I've talked about some of them up here before, but one of the decisions that just makes me shake my head, you have any decision like that in your life? A decision that just makes me shake my head is when I, when I dyed the tip of my hair blonde, and then I, like, spiked it up. The medical term for that is frosted tips. I couldn't find a picture of me with frosted tips, mostly because I didn't look for a picture of me with frosted tips. I don't want to. I don't want to share that humiliation. Don't call my mom. Like I know some of you. Like don't please just leave it in the past. I just imagine myself. I looked like you know vintage Justin Timberlake or whatever. That's what I have in my head. I mean I know I looked ridiculous. And I had a friend dye my hair, and it didn't actually end up going blonde. It's kind of like reddish brown. And to add to the ridiculousness, my freshman year of high school, I wore every single day tan corduroy pants. And I had a different Hawaiian shirt for every day. I was a winner, y'all. I mean, you could hear me. You could hear me coming down, you know, the hall. You could see me coming down the hall. You're not going to miss me. I mean, that's for sure. But picture this guy, you know, frosted tips, corduroy pants, Hawaiian shirt coming at you. He's trying to be cool. You're right. I think we've all been there maybe where we've been in a situation where we're just trying. I had the finger guns going, you know, just all sorts of things as I was going down the hall. I actually did this once. I went in to the cafeteria wearing corduroy pants, a Hawaiian shirt, went up to a girl and said, hey, babe, what's kicking? That's a real thing I did in my life. I said that to a real human being. That is, that is the thing. And I start to think, who let me do this? Like, why did I do that? Now, back in my day, in my defense, boy bands were all their age, you know, and instead of BTS, it was NSYNC and New Kids on the Block, 96 Degrees, Backstreet Boys, O-Town. I could talk about them way more than I should. You probably haven't even heard of some of those groups, but that's okay. I mean, take my word for it. I believed in my heart of hearts that the ladies loved them. And since people I wanted to be around thought that they were great, I decided I was going to act like they were great. Have you ever been in that type of situation? And like, I lied about it. Like I knew all about them. I knew their songs. I'm sad to say I knew some of their dances and I imitated them because I wanted to be likable. You know, I wanted to be cool Why would I act like that? Why would I dye my hair and wear clothes that made me look silly and act like something I I like something I really didn't like? Have you ever been in that situation where you're acting like somebody that you're not or that you're you're going into a a situation and you're like, I'm going to pretend or like, I'm really trying to figure this out. Why in the world would I do that? Well, I did that because my friends dressed like that and my friends acted like that. See, relationships are one of the most influential things in our lives. I think we even accept that. But we rarely talk about how to find them, how to keep them. We know a good relationship when we see them. We know a good significant other. We know a good friend. We know a good coworker. But we don't often think about how to be a good friend or spouse or or coworker unless things are going poorly. And we definitely don't think about like relationships in the context of church like that. See, relationships are incredibly important to our everyday lives. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Proverbs, and it's kind of godly wisdom. And this is how it describes it. This is Proverbs 13.20. I love this. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools 
and get in trouble. I mean, this is true. If you hang out with people who are wise, who are good friends, or who love God, it's more likely that you will too. But if you hang out with fools, it's more likely you're going to end up with frosted tips. (laughs) Here's another way to say it. I love this turn of phrase. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. So there's a recent study that indicated this. The study showed if your spouse gains weight, you have a 37% chance to also gain weight. If your sibling gains weight, you have a 40% chance to also gain weight. But if your friends gain weight, you have a 57% chance to gain weight. So the next time your friend says, hey, let's go binge on some pizza, or in my case, hey, you should wear corduroy pants, you should ask yourself, am I walking with a wise person or a fool? You know, what's the phrase? You know, if all of my friends went and jumped off a bridge, would I jump too? Apparently 57% of us would, yes. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Now we're in this series right now that we're calling Why Church? And I, I bet this doesn't come as a surprise to you, but you can't have church without the people. I mean, sometimes it would be a little easier for us to have church without all the people, but the reality is God designed church to be about people, to be for people, to be with people. It's not a building. It's not a certain way of doing things. It is a collection of people who are following Jesus. And one reason that we go to church is because of the community and the relationships, kind of like Trina was talking about in the video. But church isn't the same as joining a bowling league or anything like that. I found out that bowling leagues are still a thing. I didn't know that they were still a thing. But we can join groups or clubs or committees and find like-minded people, find relationships. But I believe that church relationships are a little bit different. So why church? Because I believe It makes our closest relationships better. Here's what I mean. Our closest relationships should be better, should be impacted because of Jesus. Like Jesus, if we love Jesus, it should fundamentally change the way that we interact with other people. Our church relationships, even though they're imperfect too, they should help us become better people and in turn have better relationships. Are you tracking with me? So much so that the way we treat one another in church should be a way that other people can see and go, hey, there's something different about those people. There's something different about that person. Check this out. This is the way Jesus described it. This is John 13. I think he's kind of describing a church when he says this, a new command, not a suggestion, a command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. He meant it so much, he said it three times in two verses. And Jesus is saying, look, if you love each other, if you love one another, people will know who you follow. The people will know where it comes from. So much so that people for the rest of history around the world connect love and following Jesus. And that love is played out as we gather together as a people, as a church. Now that word, the love one another word, is kind of one word. And it's actually used, depending on your translation of Bible, a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses. That's a lot. So let's nerd out just for a minute about these one another's. A third of these one another's are about unity. 
like togetherness, things like don't complain about one another, confess sins to one another. We don't like that one. Accept one another. So much so that a third of these one another's are all about us getting along just together. Now, another third of them are about love. Four of them are about smooching. You know that? They're for one another's about greeting one another with a kiss. You know, love one another, the one that we're talking about today, love one another is used the most. It's used a bunch. And the last third, they're kind of a hodgepodge, but I kind of classify them in the area of relationships and really humility, putting others first, serve one another, bear each other's burdens, encourage one another. And they're all over the place in the New Testament, second half of the Bible. And now that we've talked about them, if you're reading your Bible, you'll see these one another's all over the place. So why are all of these one another's in the Bible? Well, because if we follow Jesus... It makes our closest relationships better. And church is the kind of a training ground where we learn to love one another and the proving ground where we get to live out loving one another. And I'm going to give you an example. This example actually comes straight from Jesus himself. So here's kind of the setup. Here's the context around the story we're talking about today. Jesus was getting close to what he knew was going to happen, which is really the cross. Easter. It was, it's the week leading up to it, and he kind of knew what was happening. And he was with his followers, and he had been talking about how to love each other. You know, how to, what does it look like to love each other so well? And now it's time for supper. It's actually the last supper. It's a really important kind of day and meal. And everybody's there. I mean, all of his disciples, his followers are there. Peter's there and John is there and Judas is there. And Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. And as they all sat down for dinner, Jesus decided to do something that surprised them a little bit. Check this out. This is John 13, starting in verse four. This is what he did. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. See, imagine walking everywhere that you needed to go. I mean, we don't understand that. Like, we drop people off at the front door to save, like, three steps. I mean, we don't like to really walk at all. I mean, have you ever been downtown, like, in a major city, like downtown Indianapolis, and there are, like, scooters everywhere? Because why would we walk three blocks and well, let's get on this scooter and put our life in our own hands. So in this context, in Jesus' day, they walked everywhere. But what if the sidewalks, what if the roads were all dirt? Because that was the case for them. It wasn't pavement, that was common. And the floors of the homes were often dirt. And they walked around on sandals on the road. See, this made it really, really, really important to wash your feet. Not only because they were dusty and they were gross from the dirt, but also because when they ate in Jesus' day, they didn't sit at like big tables with high back chairs and stuff off of the ground. It was actually very low to the ground. They had pillows or they, they would lounge together. You know what else is down there if you're sitting on the ground with pillows? Dirty, nasty feet. And so they knew this was actually a really practical thing to do. It was, it was a sanitary thing to do. It was important, especially before a meal, that they would do this. So Jesus got up and he started to wash the feet of those around him, which means that they probably hadn't done it yet. They hadn't done this important thing yet. But this is why it's so important. Check this out. This is verse 6. 
See, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I love Peter so much. Jesus replied, uh, yeah, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never, ever wash my feet. And then Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. I love Peter so much. I mean, he's going around the circle like they're all there together. He's washed feet beforehand. He gets to Peter and he's like, me too? And Jesus is like, yeah, what do you think is going on? Like, yes, everyone here. And Peter's like, well, hey, no. And he's a bold fellow. He's a passionate fellow. We learn a lot from Peter. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible. I don't know if he had a feet phobia. I don't know if he had bunions. I don't know why he was like saying, no, 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 no. But I think it's because of, of something that we'll get to in just a second, because he was vehemently against Jesus washing feet, right? But Jesus goes, no, unless I wash, you don't belong to me. And check this out. This is verse nine. Simon Peter exclaimed, okay, then wash my hands and my head, you know, dunk me, baby. Like, Lord, not just my feet, like everything. And Jesus, you know, is kind of looking at Peter and he's like, Peter, you're taking this very literally. Like, that's not what I mean. Yes, your feet need to be washed, but this isn't a functional thing that I'm doing. This is a symbolic thing that I'm doing. And check this out, verse 10, check this out. Jesus replied, okay, a person who's bathed all over does not need to wash except for their feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. Judas, he's talking about. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. See, Jesus is saying, this isn't about taking a bath, Peter. Like, this is about something else. You're clean spiritually because you follow me, because you surrendered your life to me, except for Judas, because Judas has decided to betray me. And then Jesus explains what's going on. And I love this. I love that Jesus can slow down. He knows what's going on. This is what he says, verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, so, do you understand what's going on? And they were like, no, we don't understand at all. And that's why I love this, because he knew that they didn't understand. He knows that sometimes we don't understand. They're like, please tell us. We're confused. Jesus knew they didn't get it, so he explained it. And this is how he broke it down. He says, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord, which are are signs of great respect. And you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's dirty, nasty feet. And I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And then he brings it home. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Not just knowing them. Doing them. So when Jesus got up to wash the disciples' feet, he was doing what the lowliest servant would have done and really should have already done. And I think the people there with Jesus, they were stunned at the act of kind of humility. Jesus is like, yes, I am your Lord. I am your master. I am your savior. You don't understand what's about to happen, but I'm about to get on the cross and die for your sins. But I'm going to get on my hands and knees and serve you. And washing feet wasn't his job. If he was Lord, teacher, had the sign of respect, they would have been washing his feet. 
And one of them probably should have. Can you imagine if you were that guy? Like, that was my job today. Whoops, a daisy. <laughs> but see, they knew that they should have washed his feet. He knew that they should have washed his feet. And when he starts to wash their feet, he reminds them, look, this is not because I'm going to be a military leader who you respect. This is not because I'm going to be a king and you have to bow to me even though I'm worthy of that. No, I came to be a servant. I came to love you. And in our context, we go like, well, the washing of the feet, that's weird. We ain't doing that. Like, you ain't touching my dirty, nasty feet. This is kind of what washing feet means, though. It means to humbly and sacrificially love one another. And he says, if you follow me, you should do the same thing. And if we're being honest, we don't want to. If I'm being honest, I don't want to touch your dirty, nasty feet. But even symbolically, right? We don't always want to. I don't want to dig into your mess all the time. You know, I need to take care of myself before maybe I sacrificially love you, right? You know, I, I don't want to deal with the hurt or the pain. Like, that, that brings up my own hurt and pain. Or I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't know, get out of my comfort zone. That's hard. It's difficult. I don't want to. You know, I need to pay my bills before I help you pay yours. And life is messy. And church, frankly, is messy if we're doing it right because people are messy. And we lie and we cheat and we insult and we complain and we betray and we find reason after reason after reason to not love one another. This is a simple concept. Nobody's blown away by, we should love one another. We just don't do it. Because they hurt me or they don't take care of me, or I don't have time, or I'm so self-centered I don't even see the need. They didn't call me when I needed them to. I've got a lot going on. See, I get it. It is difficult to actually humbly and sacrificially love somebody else. And let me give you some context to bring this home. So Jesus is washing feet, right? So who's there? I mean, these disciples, these people who've been with him, you know, Peter's there. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And John is there. But you know who else is there? Judas is there. Judas, who's going to betray him that very night, is there. And Jesus is washing the feet. He's still there. Jesus washed Judas' feet. And if there's anyone who didn't deserve to be loved sacrificially, Surely it's the one who betrays Jesus. And it kind of causes me to think, we all have somebody in our life that's kind of like that. Somebody that's difficult for us to love. Somebody that I don't want to love sacrificially. I don't want to love humbly. Do you have a Judas in your life? Do you have somebody that you're like, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to interact with him. Why in the world would Jesus treat him with that much love, that much sacrifice, that much humility, that much respect? That's what Jesus is saying. Look, 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 look. Even the nasty feet, even the people who betray. And Jesus says, go and do the same. See, loving Jesus is way easier than washing the feet of Judas. We're okay with the love in Jesus part a lot of the times. We are not okay with washing the feet of Jesus. So what does that mean for us to do the same? What would it look like for you to humbly, sacrificially love the person that you like the least in your life? 
See, I tell you what, there are so many examples of like serving humbly kind of in our church. You know, the 10K challenge is an example of this. We talk about it a lot. We're excited about it. It means a lot to us here. I know we've been talking about it for a while, but if you don't know, see, the 10K challenge is this challenge that kind of God has put on the ridge and on our heart to spend 10,000 hours from September of 2022 to September of 2023 loving others like this, washing some feet, loving sacrificially and humbly, maybe interrupting our own rhythms and saying, no, we're going to do this because of the love that Jesus has shown us, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus by serving our neighbors, by serving local nonprofits at work, at home. Now, as far as I know, people have turned in hours for 10K Challenge, but nobody has turned in hours for washing feet. And I wonder, even in our own lives, if we would if we have the opportunity with the person we like the least in our lives, do we take it? What if nobody would know if you did or not? Just you. Just God. See, there are all sorts of ways that people have done the 10K challenge. You know, staffing a United Way tax site, cleaning brush at a cemetery, writing letters of encouragement, helping neighbors with yard work, volunteering at a homeless shelter. They're amazing ways. We had people gathered for, you know, landscaping yesterday. We have opportunities to shop and to write notes today. And they're all amazing ways to love each other. But I want to challenge you just a little bit to get past the easy organizational things and get into the loving the people that you don't like things. It doesn't take an organized effort for examples of washing feet. Now, if you're, in a, if you're in a group and you've been meeting with a group in this Y Church series, there are all sorts of examples in ways that you can love fellow group members. You can join the meals team here at the Ridge and give meals for people recovering from surgery and a little extra help. See, there are all sorts of organizational ways, right? But loving each other is an incredibly simple concept and an incredibly difficult thing to do. And church is this amazing place where a group of people who are trying to do this can get together and encourage each other to live this out, to humbly and sacrificially love the person that you like the least, to wash each other's feet. So let's talk about what does it look like for us to do that this week? You know, what does it look like, you know, today to wash feet? Now, there are a lot of different relationships that we have in our lives, right? So we're going to simplify it a little bit. But the challenge really is, I want you to be thinking about somebody for you to engage with love this week. And just every day for seven days, love them. What does it look like for you to do that? And if you're really you know, feeling saucy, have it be a Judas. You know who came to mind. So I encourage you, Pick somebody in one of these four categories and all seven days, you know, what does it look like for you to wash their feet? I mean, there's families, there's friends, there's church relationships, neighbor, coworker relationships. What does it look like for you to love someone in your family sacrificially, to put them first? It could be something as simple as, you know, doing the dishes even though you don't really want to. That's a big deal in our house sometimes. Maybe it's slowing down. And it's actually engaging with, you know, your, your kiddo 
or maybe it's interacting with somebody in a way that, that you, you don't really want to. You don't want to check on them. They've hurt you or, you know, I'm not going to give them the time. Maybe it's stopping and actually interacting with somebody when you're busy. See, there are all sorts of different examples for what it looks like for you to love your family sacrificially. And yes, sometimes Judas's are in your family. Absolutely. So what does it look like for you to love friends sacrificially? Maybe it's being a good listener. Have you ever been in this situation where somebody comes up to you and you're like, hey man, how's it going? And then they actually start telling you how it's going. And you're like, whoa, that's not what I wanted at all. I wanted you to say fine and we're going to move on. But there are people who deeply, desperately need relationship, need community need somebody to actually care about the answer to the question, how are you doing? Maybe it just takes you to say, hey, no, I'm going to ask it again. How are you doing? No, really? How are you doing? Maybe it's giving your time. It's helping somebody move. It's helping somebody interact in a way you show up for them. Maybe it's sending them kind of the note or the text and saying, you know what? I'm rooting you on. I appreciate you. I see who you are and what you're doing. These aren't complicated if you haven't started to figure it out. Doing it is complicated, but the ideas aren't. What about a neighbor or a a coworker? Maybe honoring a coworker in front of another coworker? Wouldn't that be cool? If people who are at the ridge are just constantly encouraging other people? Maybe it's helping out with their lawn, even though your lawn isn't done yet. Maybe it's inviting them to church because you love them so much you want them to experience Jesus. What does it look like in your church family? And it's some of those volunteering type of things. Absolutely, it can be volunteering. But maybe it's choosing not to grumble against each other. That's actually a one another. It says don't grumble grumble against one another. For whatever reason, we have a really difficult time with that in church. Maybe it's praying for someone specifically. Are you guilty of this that you say to somebody in passing or online, you know, or in a text, hey, I'm praying for you, and then you don't? Maybe it's really intentionally going and praying for somebody. The, the options are endless, but my encouragement to you would be, who is it? In your life, who is it? And I challenge you. Is it a Judas? Who is God asking you, What does it look like for you to wash the feet of the person that God is laying on your heart right now? And how amazing would it be if the Ridge, this group of people, this church family was known without a shadow of a doubt for loving one another, that people outside of this church would know the people who attend the Ridge love their community, they love their neighbors, they love their families sacrificially, they even love the people that they don't seem to like. And in a way that people see it and go, I think I know who they follow because of who they love. See, that's the opportunity, really, that church gives us. The need that church fills. See, we have a need for a loving, supportive, kind community. And we have an opportunity to build it by washing some feet. You ready to wash some feet? I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I 
just been heavy on my heart today that this is a simple thing to accept as a difficult thing to do. Because when we get wrapped up into our own world and our own life, to humbly, sacrificially do anything is very difficult, let alone humbly and sacrificially love the people who have maybe hurt us or don't show up for us. God, I don't know who you are prompting on each of our head and heart. I don't know. Help us, though, surrender to you enough, be bold enough to go out and to serve, not because of how it makes us feel, to be humble and sacrificial, not because we want other people to see it even, but because you loved us so much that right after you washed Judas's feet, he walks out, he betrays, he comes back, and you get up willingly on the cross. That's the love that we're talking about. You are the perfect example of sacrificial and humble love and help us respond in a way that doesn't even make sense to people who don't know you. Give us the strength to love this radically, this sacrificially, this humbly. Help us wash some feet this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.